This morning's scripture passage is from Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 to 20. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patience and endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were a blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His, fa <clears throat> his face was like the sun, shining in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw on my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of, of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are, lampstands are the seven churches. God's word for us this morning. Uh, we are just so thrilled this morning to have Reverend Roy Hubert with us. He is also known as Sean's dad. And so we just want to invite him up as he comes and shares God's word with us this morning. Welcome here, Roy. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, I'm going to sit so I don't fall over the front. That's what happens when you get older. It's so good to be here with you. And if you have your Bible open to the book of Revelation, keep it open because we are going to be looking at several verses in the first five chapters that uh, are going to make quite a difference because the title of this talk is uh, Things Are Not Always As They Seem To Be. Do you realize that in this book alone, the word look the command look to John, look, 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 occurred 24 times. The words I saw after he looked occur 42 times. The word heard, I heard a voice, occurred 46 times. So what we're going to look at this morning is a new reality. Things are not always as they seem to be. Now the letter of Revelation was written to seven churches in the first century in Asia Minor. Times were hard for the followers of Jesus Christ during the first century. Really hard. Rome was tightening its grip, becoming repressive, increasingly hostile to the disciples of Jesus Christ. 
In AD 57, the emperor Nero started feeding Christians to the lions. Peter and Paul were crucified. And by 95 AD, the emperor had killed more than 40,000 Christians. I read the other day and I was shocked that in that first century, over a thousand Jews, uh, over a million Jews were killed by Rome. Timothy was beaten to death. It was a time of great fear. In AD 96, John was exiled to the island of Patmos. In verse 9 of chapter 1, which was read for us, it says, John, your brother, companion in the suffering, was on the island of Patmos, exiled there because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Revelation opens up with John worshiping on the Lord's day. I'm sure that as John sat on that rock pile, and I happened to have the privilege of going to the island of Patmos. Uh, they fixed it up a little bit, but it is a rock pile. He could bring all kinds of mental images and remembrances to his mind of his life with Jesus. And we can do the same thing if we read the Gospels. There's a picture of Jesus turning the water into wine. And there's a picture of Jesus feeding the 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. There's a picture of Jesus outside of his empty tomb. And every picture would help us a little bit. As we, reminded, as we were reminded about Jesus and what he had done. But revelation, if you've somehow distanced yourself from this book, it is time to return to it. Revelation opens up a whole new reality of Jesus Christ. The title of the book is The Revelation of Jesus Christ. I remember when I first got my glasses. I was in Swift Current. I was looking out the back of my, uh, our house, which was a field, and then there was, a, there was a school and a field out there and everything else. And I had put my new glasses on, and I stood in the kitchen, and I looked out the window. And I said to my wife, do you know that there are some trees back there? Things are not always like they seem. And I encourage you to put on the glasses found in Revelation. The picture, the revelation, the unveiling. See, revelation simply means the unveiling of Jesus Christ. The idea is like in a theater. The curtain is pulled back and you get to see what's behind there. The word actually means opening up to reveal revelation. 
of Jesus Christ. No other book in the Bible do we see Jesus as clearly and as contemporary as he is today. And we need that. John needed it. The churches of Asia needed it. They needed a new picture, a new revelation of Jesus. You see, I always thought that the book of Revelation was somehow a crystal ball that kind of revealed the secrets of how to escape the harsh realities of what was going to happen in the world sometime in the future. But I came to the realization the book of Revelation was written to seven churches and if it didn't make sense to them, then why should I try and find some other sense? I had to discover what they needed to know if I was really going to understand the book of Revelation. Now certainly it's written for the future, but it had to make sense to the seven churches. What the book of Revelation talks about is how to live, listen to this carefully, how to live for Jesus as a disciple and follower of Jesus Christ in the harsh realities of everyday life. When things aren't going well. It's a discipleship manual. How do I live for Jesus when things aren't going well? The Lord responds to John by pulling back the curtain and giving him a revelation. Revelations, more than one. Of heaven, of Jesus, of what's going on in the world, of the enemy, all of those things. Things are not always as they seem. And here we have a new revelation of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, the first thing that we see about Jesus was read for us this morning in the scriptures. Jesus is standing in the middle of the lampstands, which are the seven churches. He's standing right there. And it says in chapter 1 and verse 12, and look, because <laughs> it's so important to look. This is what it says. I turned around to see the voice, John is saying, that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. The lampstands, as we're told at the end of that chapter, are the seven churches. And what it says here is among the lampstands, not above the lampstands looking down from heaven, not off to the side wondering what's going on, but right in the middle. That's what it says, right in the middle. 
of the lampstands was standing one as the Son of Man. And to each one of those lampstands, to each one of those churches, he says the words, I know. I want you to know that Jesus Christ is right here today. We need to see him. Oh, maybe not physically, but we need to see him spiritually. And that's why, because he's standing right in the midst of the church, and all of the churches, that's where Jesus is standing. Because he's standing there among them, he can say to the church, I know some things about you. (laughs) I'm standing in the church. He's standing in the church right here, and he knows things about us. And to the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3, he says, first of all, to the church of Ephesians, I know your deeds, I know your hard work. In case you didn't realize it, God knows, Jesus knows your hard work. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. I know that you have persevered. And that you have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. I know that. I know that, church. And to the church of Smyrna, he says, I know your afflictions, verse 8 of chapter 2, and your poverty. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Have you ever heard the voice of Jesus say to you, do not be afraid. That's what Revelation's all about. That's what he said to John right in the island. Don't be afraid. They're dying all around them. They're being murdered. Rome is oppressing them. Do not be afraid. I was dead and I am alive forevermore. Don't be afraid. We live in a day of real fear, people. It's being promoted. And if our only source of input is CNN and CBC and whatever other local news we're watching, we are going to be afraid. We need a new reality. We need to hear the voice of Jesus. To the church of Pergamos, he says, I know where you live. <laughs> and you did not renounce your faith in me. I know that. I know, I know you're standing firm. I know it's a struggle. And to the church of Thyatira, he said, I know your deeds, your love, and your faith, your service, and your perseverance. And to the church of Sardis, he says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you're not alive. You're dead. Wake up. Things aren't going well. Smarten up. I know that. And to the church at Philadelphia, I know your deeds. I know that you have... A little strength, but you have kept my word and you've not denied my name. I know that. 
And the church of Laodicea, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. I know your spiritual temperature. I know. I know what's happening in your town. I know I'm I'm among you. I'm not aloof. I'm not gone. I told you that when I would leave, the Father and I and the Spirit of God would come and we would reside in you. And we would be with you until the end of the age. You're not alone. That's the the biggest reality of the book of Revelation. The living Jesus, the resurrected Lord, lives and moves among his church and we are his church, his body. Not just when we gather here on Sunday morning, but every day. And he promised he will never leave us. And he knows everything about us. He knows the pain. He knows the suffering. He knows the heartache. You thought nobody knew, but he does. And it's time to take a break and thank him. I'll never forget the night my, the, the day my wife was taken away in an ambulance. It was the beginning of COVID. It wasn't COVID. She had a stroke. The only thing was they, they weren't going to let me in. I couldn't get in the hospital. That was understandable. The other thing that wasn't understandable is for two or three days, we didn't get any information, not one information. Couldn't get a hold of a doctor, couldn't get a hold of a nurse. I can remember going up into my bedroom and I turned the book of Revelation and I read it out loud because, of course, my wife was gone and the neighbors didn't care. I read it out loud over and over and over again. And the assurance came, I know. Nobody else knows, but I know. Roy, I know the pain. Now she's with us today and she's fine. She's as beautiful as ever. Things are not always as they seem. And chapter 1, verse 17, it says this, and then I saw him. When I saw him, the voice that spoke to him, I fell at his feet, though dead, and he placed his right hand on me. This is not a vision, dear people. Visions don't place their right hand on people. Jesus is standing beside John, puts his hand on him. And says to him, listen to the words, do not be afraid. I am so tired of being afraid. Afraid of this, afraid of that, afraid of inflation, afraid of taxes, afraid of this. Afraid, afraid, afraid. Jesus' word to the church is this. I'm here, don't be afraid. And then he said this in verse 18, I am the living one. I was dead and now look 
that's a command. Go look. I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Jesus has stolen the weapon that is used against us, and that is fear. He robbed it. He took it away. Fear is a terrible thing. Fear fear keeps us from doing what is right, and fear keeps us doing what is wrong. Always. We should talk to our neighbor about the Lord. Fear. Fear jumps in and says, don't talk. The fear of criticism. They're all really related to the fear of death, by the way. That's the main source of fear is death. But the fear of criticism, the fear of rejection, the fear of financial loss, the fear of pain. The rock bottom is the fear of death. Do not be afraid, but look, I'm alive forevermore, and I hold the keys of death. That is the foundational reality of the book of Revelation. And we need to read it over and over and over again until it burns in our souls. But there's another reality. So we've looked at two and three. That's how fast we went through two and three. Those are the seven churches. And we're into four. Turn to four in chapter four and verse one. And after this I looked. And there before me was a door standing open to heaven. And the voice... I had heard at first speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here. And at once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven and there was someone sitting on it. John is summoned through an open door in the sky and comes face to face with a panorama of breathtaking beauty and majesty, the throne room of God. I I want you to know, we need to understand something here. John wasn't transported to some place far away. That's That's a trouble with us, is, you know, Jesus ascended into heaven in the clouds and he's gone. But that isn't what he said. He said, I'll come back, and my father and I will come make our home with you. Jesus isn't on a holiday. And it's just kind of wound the world up and let you spin. And hoping you, you luck out a bit. He said, wherever you go, I'm going to be there. I'll be there right with you. He wasn't transported to another place. Heaven is a dimension of reality, although ordinarily invisible to the untrained eye, nevertheless intersects with our society and our dimension of what we see and hear all the time. Do you realize that there are all kinds of waves going through this auditorium that you don't see? Some of you can turn on Wi-Fi. I can't see Wi-Fi, except I can see it on my phone. It says it's on. But it's invisible. I don't see it. 
But I know when it isn't there because then it goes over to dad and charges me. So I look for Wi-Fi, even though I can't see it. Because my little phone is smart enough to tell me that it's there. Heaven is a dimension of reality that although visible to the untrained eye, is very real. Things are not as they always seem. There's a story in the Old Testament that's very interesting. It's found in 1st 2nd Kings. You don't need to turn 2nd Kings chapter 6. And it said the king of Aram was at war with Israel. And he sent horses and chariots and strong forces there. And they went by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God got up early in the morning, an army with horses is what he saw that surrounded the city. And he said, oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Here it is again. It's interesting how often this shows up in the word. Don't be afraid, the prophet said. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elijah prayed and said this, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And then the Lord opened the eyes of the servant, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots all around Elijah. Things are not as they seem all the time. Revelation reveals that. Rolls back the curtain. And when it rolls back the curtain, John sees a throne. And there's, a, there's the seat of authority. There's the seat of power. There's the supreme headquarters. There's the central control of the universe. And look, look, John, on the throne. Someone is sitting on the throne. Good news. The throne of the universe is occupied. It's not up for grabs. We might not see that if we listen to CNN. It often feels like there's no one in control. That there's been a coup or something. That the powers of evil and death have somehow stormed the headquarters. But look, 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 John, look. There's a throne. And there's someone sitting on it. This is another reality of the book of Revelation. God is seated on the throne, surrounded by perpetual worship. Verse 8 of chapter, that chapter says this, the four living creatures day and night never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Favorite word of John's is the word Almighty. We're so used to that word that somehow it doesn't move us anymore, but what it means, all might, on the throne, on the throne of the universe sits one who has all power, all might, all strength. 
And the 24 elders in verse 10 fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our God and our Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created, and by your will they have their being. Everything and everyone owns its being to the God who sits on the throne. Everyone. God is sovereign, He is the ultimate authority of the entire universe. And if God were ceased, would cease to exist, everything in the universe would cease to exist because he holds it all together. That's the reality. John, I know Rome is coming in like a storm. But you need to realize there's someone on the throne. Whether we, the world realizes it or not, or whether we acknowledge the fact, we all live and move in him. The question then begs to answer, and probably popping up in your head right now, so we're going to look at it really quickly, honest. If God is almighty... Why then doesn't he with his power do something about what's happening in the world? Now, we don't have time to go into the book of Revelation to understand all that, but it's a good question. Corey Ted Boom, when she tells the story of when she was in the concentration camp and she ran up against one of the people who were in there with her and said, Corey, you can't have it both ways either. God doesn't love you or he's impotent. Sometimes I think we think the same. If God has all power, then why doesn't he help me? And Corey said this to the lady. Some of you may have remembered. I don't know about that. All I know is that my Savior Jesus died for me and loves me enough to die for me. That's all I know. That's all Corey could answer. Revelation 5, then, explains God's plan. And this is probably the most profound revelation of the book of Revelation. Chapter 5 and verse 1, he says, And then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll, with writings on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Seven seals and seven is the number of completeness. The scroll contains the complete plan of God. The scroll contains the plan of God, his plan for rectifying evil and establishing his rule in the world. It contains God's plan for the original purpose of creation and its fulfillment. John says, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? Who indeed? For sure, 
Good question. Then a devastating truth hits John. But no one was found in heaven or on earth or under the earth who could open the scroll or even look inside it. And I wept and I wept because no one was found or worthy to open the scroll and look inside. No wonder John weeps. No one. No one. Devastating words. No one has the answer to the solution of sin that's got us into this mess. And then one of the elders said to me in verse 5, do not weep. Look. See. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and the seven seals. Thank God for the lion. Then John turns his gaze away from the elder back to the throne. And what happens next in the revelation is the most crucial element of revelation. And our understanding of it will change our lives forever if we comprehend what's going on here. John expects, as he turns, to see a lion, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you expect to see a huge, roaring lion? He can open up the seals. And then I turn. And I saw a lamb. There's two words for a lamb in the Greek. This is an itsy-bitsy lamb, a teeny-weeny lamb. Looking as if it had been slain, a better word is slaughtered. Standing in the center of the throne, And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. The greatest revelation of the book of Revelation. Now look at this carefully. Jesus Christ, the crucified one, stands in the center of the throne. But we learned that God the Father sits on the throne. We heard that in chapter 1 and we heard it in chapter 4. If the eternal God Almighty sits on the throne, how can the Lamb stand in the center of the throne unless he stands in the very center of the one who sits in the throne? No wonder he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The very essence of our God has been displayed for us in Jesus Christ. The very center of the living God is the heart of the Lamb. 
Now listen. Because we're talking about the seals. We're talking about the future. We're talking about the plan of God. How is he going to redeem mankind from sin? How is he going to change things around in the world? How is it going to happen? And Revelation is going to talk about those things. They're going to implode. They're going to implode. He doesn't even have to raise. He will not even go to battle. Do you realize that? He doesn't even go to battle. He just shows up. Sin will implode one day. But the Almighty, the center of the living God, is the heart of the Lamb. The Almighty overcomes by being a Lamb. A lion doesn't get the throne by being a lion. The lion wins by being a lamb and being slaughtered. Almighty God brings the kingdom of heaven to earth through the sacrificial love instead of the ferocity of a lion. God's plan is that he loves us. I think we need to learn something here as the church because we are to be followers of the Lamb. We are to be imitators of Jesus Christ. The victory is won through love. Not through harsh words and protests. The victory for the world is going to be won because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on a cross. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you created all mankind, because you are almighty, because, no, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. God Almighty reigns through the Lamb, not the ferocity of the lion. He doesn't seek to hurt people, to assert his rule. Of course he's Almighty. He could do it, but he hasn't chosen to use that way. He's chosen to take the sin upon himself. God overcomes by suffering, suffering with and for the world. I wish I could tell you that, you know what? One day God is just going to tear them all apart. But he isn't. He's going to love them. And he wants us to love them. I think we got it wrong in the church a little bit, evangelical church over the last two or three years. We thought we had to go protest. What we had to do is go love.
because that's how the war is going to be won. He reigns through entering into and taking on to himself the suffering of the world. He reigns from the cross. And he tells us, take up your cross and follow me. Imitate me. And the kingdom of heaven comes to earth through sacrificial love. The lamb goes to the cross because of us. The lamb goes to the cross for us. The lamb goes to the cross instead of us. He who knew no sin became sin and took the punishment that our sin justly deserved. Look, there he stands in the center of the throne. A lamb the way we're slaughtered. A substitute. A satisfaction for the sins of the world. For the most evil things that people do and can do. He died for them. John, I want you to know, Rome's evil. But John, I love him. When I went to the cross, it was for them. I know they won't believe it. But I want you to demonstrate it. Verse 11, read the last couple verses here. And I looked and I heard a voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000 and they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him that sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever and ever. That's the reality we're living in. That's our future. Fear not. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, if there is anybody prone to fear, it's me. And I thank you so much that you came one day and whispered in my ear, Roy, I sit on the throne. Fear not. I was dead and I am alive. And I live forevermore.